I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Bonjour and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 16, 17, 18, and 19 of The Da Vinci Code. Before we get into it, I just want to do a quick plug for the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books if you want to access the Maze Runner content that's going on over there. You can also listen to the previous recaps of 365 Days, 50 Shades Darker, and Insurgent. In a couple of days' time, I'll be dropping a preview of the first episode of the Maze Runner content into the public feed, so keep an eye out for that. Have a listen. And if you feel like signing up, you should do so. It's $3 a month, new episodes every Friday. Now, where we left off with the Da Vinci Code, Sophie's just told Robert how deep in shit he is in because of the old PS find Robert Langdon, and apparently that PS was not postscript. It was, hey, Princess Soph, go and find Robert Langdon. And so she's trying to like rescue him, blah, blah, blah. But she's like, don't go running because that's what he wants. There's a GPS tracking dot on you, blah, blah, blah. So they're in the bathrooms nutting it all out. And Silas, he's about to go and enter the sans Peace for like the fifth week running. I feel like for the whole month of June, I've been saying Silas is about to enter the church. <sighs> like seriously, he killed the guy. And then he, I don't know, he did some prayers, he whipped himself, and then he drove around Paris looking at prostitutes on the street, just amping up the courage to go into a church. Meanwhile, Bishop Arangorosa, he's been on a plane, and he's going to make it from New York to Paris before Silas ever gets the courage to enter that bloody church. Ugh. So we start chapter 16 with Sophie wondering how long it will take Fash to figure out that she hasn't left the building. Well, not that long, because he sort of has already figured it out already. And the head of the cryptography department has already given him the tip off as well. And so now she's questioning whether she's done the right thing by cornering Robert in the men's room. And we've all thought that, haven't we? Every time we've cornered a man in the men's room, that's the kind of thing you do where you have an out-of-body experience and you're like, wow, am I really doing this? So yeah, Sophie, we've all been there. But she's thinking, what else was I supposed to do? Then she pictured her grandfather's body naked and spread eagle on the floor. And like, yeah, let's just sit with that for a moment. She had to see her granddad naked and dead, but like the naked and spread eagle part of it all. And notice that's what she pointed out in that line. She goes, oh, my grandfather, his body naked and spread eagle on the floor. Also blood all over him. He was using his own blood as ink to draw a pentacle on his chest because of the 
bullet wound that's coming out of his stomach. She glossed over that, didn't she? But you know why? Because she doesn't like the guy. There was a time when he had meant the world to her, yet tonight, Sophie was surprised to feel almost no sadness for the man. Okay, is she, is she a bit of a psycho? Seems like there's a little bit of apathy there that um, I would be a bit worried about. But she tells us that Jacques Sunier was a stranger to her now. Their relationship had evaporated in a single instant one March night when she was 22, 10 years ago. So it happened on a March night. Good to know. Apparently she had come home a few days early from university in England and mistakenly witnessed her grandfather engaged in something Sophie was obviously not supposed to see. It was an image she could barely believe to this day. And she thinks if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, dot, dot, dot. And I can't quite remember what it was, but like, I have a vague memory that it was just like an orgy. Like her granddad was just in an orgy and she stumbled onto it. Like, yeah, awkward, but like, calm down. Was he killing someone? Was he murdering puppies or was he just getting his rocks off? Because if it's just a masquerade ball orgy scene, like I think you need to get with the times and stop kink shaming, Soph. Older people are allowed to have a sex life too, doll. And I could be remembering it wrong, but if that is what it is, like seriously, grow up. You just threw away your whole relationship with your granddad just because you saw him have sex. Like calm down. Maybe there is something else going on. As I said, it's been like 15, 20 years since I've read this book. So she saw him getting his rocks off and she was too ashamed and stunned to endure his attempts to explain. So she just moved out. She took all her money. She got a small flat with some roommates and she vowed to never speak to anyone about what she'd seen. And he'd tried reaching out. He sent letters, he sent cards and she just refused to engage with him. She never responded except once to forbid him ever to call her or to try to meet her in public. She was afraid that his explanation would be more terrifying than the incident itself. And she's really built it up in her head to be like worse than it actually is. And so he'd sent her a decade of letters and she's just like got them all saved in a dresser drawer, just never reading them. I think she's a bit of a bitch. And she says to her grandfather's credit, he had never once disobeyed her request until this afternoon. And so he had rung her answering machine Oh, the answering machine. The biggest plot point of the book so far, her answering machine. And he'd said, Sophie, I have a butt. See, not even Princess Sophie. We were led to believe that he always called her Princess Sophie, but he's just saying, oh, hey, Sophie. So he says, Sophie, I have abided by your wishes for so long and it pains me to call, but I must speak to you. Something terrible has happened. And Sophie, she was standing there listening to this message and she's like, huh, I remember him. Well, what's he been up to, I wonder? And he also left the voicemail in English because apparently when she was growing up, he would always say, practice French at school, practice English at home. And I guess he just kept that going now that she's a 32-year-old bilingual woman. And he says, you can't be mad at me forever. Haven't you read my letters? Do you not understand? We have to speak. Call me at the Louvre right away. I believe you and I are in grave danger. And he says, I know I've kept things from you and I know it has cost me your love, but it was for your own safety. Now you must know the truth. I must tell you the truth about your family. And she was thinking, my family? My parents had died when I was only four. Their car went off a bridge into fast moving water. Her grandmother and younger brother had also been in the car. Oh, well, that's a packed car. And Sophie's entire family had been erased in an instant. Newspaper clippings confirmed it. Okay, well, well, no. 
I mean, a big, a large chunk of your family, I admit, died in that car accident. But, but she says, my whole entire family erased. Well, no, you've got a grandfather who you're now estranged from by your choice. He's still alive. Well, he was <laughs> up until today, but yeah, he was still alive and you ignored him for 10 years. And she's like, what a shame I didn't have any family. And this is a long message because then he's like, Sophie, I've been waiting for years to tell you, waiting for the right moment, but the time has run out. Call me at the Louvre. I'll wait here all night. I fear we may both be in danger. Yeah, he said that. There's so much you need to know. Yeah, you've said that too. He's really repeating himself. He's doing the Dan Brown and he's doubling down and repeating things. And so she was standing in the kitchen listening and she's like, oh, he's trying to bait me. He's using my family to bait me to come and see him. And her disgust for the man deepened. Like, oh my God, how big was this orgy for you to be that disgusted? So she just ignored the message because she's like, oh, no one that can have sex in an orgy deserves my time of day, no matter whose life is in danger. But now standing in the darkness of the Louvre's men's room, she's like, oh God, maybe at a point. Now her skepticism had been deeply challenged. Deeply challenged. Well, yeah, because he's dead. She's actually thinking here being like, huh, maybe he wasn't trying to manipulate me into seeing him by using my family just, you know, to, to make amends. N- no, he, he got killed, Soph. And she thinks he left a code for her. Of that, she is certain. And she goes on about how her passion for cryptography was a product of growing up with him. They did the crosswords together. They did cryptograms all the time, blah, blah, fucking blah. And tonight, the cryptographer in Sophie was forced to respect the efficiency with which her grandfather had used a simple code to unite two total strangers. Sophie Nouveau and Robert Langdon. Okay, I think she's congratulating him a bit too much, being like, oh my God, he put in a secret code and now we're united. Like he literally wrote, find Robert Langdon. I don't, I don't think we could call that a code. It's more of a directive in plain English. And she's like, wow, what a great cryptographic code he's left for me. Like he just wrote out in plain English, Dal. And she's like, I can't imagine why though. And judging from Langdon's eyes, he doesn't know either. And so she's like, okay, you guys were going to meet tonight. Like, what about? And Langdon's like, don't know. Secretary lined it up. I don't know. And so she says, my grandfather called me this afternoon and told me he and I were in grave danger. Does that mean anything to you? And he's like, I know, but oh shit. Um, Considering that he's dead, he might've been telling the truth. So then she gazes out the window of the bathroom. Get a load of this foreshadowing. She walked to the small plate glass window at the far end of the bathroom and gazed out in silence through the mesh of alarm tape embedded in the glass. They were high up, 40 feet at least. Okay, just pin that, we'll come back to it. And then because, again, because it's the Da Vinci Code, if someone's looking out a window, we've got to get the fucking map of Paris. So she says, on her left, there's the Seine, there's the Eiffel Tower. Then straight ahead, there's the Arc de Triomphe. And to the right, There's the sloping rise of Montmartre. I'm sorry, how big is this window? Can she really see all of this? The most picturesque window in Paris, it's in the men's loo. She can somehow see all of the icons. Like don't go up to a viewing platform, don't go up to the Eiffel Tower to see Paris's landscape, just go to this bathroom at the Louvre. So she says at the westernmost tip of the Denon wing, the north-south thoroughfare of Place du Carousel, Ran almost flush with the building, only a narrow sidewalk separating it from the Louvre's outer wall. Oh my God. Yep, okay, sure. And there's delivery trucks making deliveries, like great. 
And then she's thinking about how Robert probably wants to help her and she wants to figure out the mystery as well. It says, as a codebreaker, Sophie made her living extracting meaning from seemingly senseless data. Tonight, her best guess was that Robert Langdon, whether he knew it or not, possessed information that she desperately needed. Okay, how's that a guess? He literally said, go and find Robert Langdon, please. Princess Sophie, find him. And she's like, you know what? I think I should probably talk to Robert Langdon. Like, no fucking shit. And so Soph says to him, look, Bezu Fash, he'll be taking you into custody at any moment. I can get you out of this museum, but we need to act now. And he's like, what? You want me to run? You just told me last chapter that you didn't want me to run. That I look guilty if I run. And she's like, well, I've changed my mind. It's the smartest thing you can do because if Fash takes you into custody now, you'll spend weeks in French jail while the DCPJ and the US Embassy fight over which courts try your case. Remember, Fush hates the US Embassy. He also lost a lot of money in the tech craze. He also loves the church and he hates pedophile priests because they ruin the reputation of the church, not because of, you know, their crimes. So yeah, we know a lot about Fash. Anyway, okay, where were we? Langdon's like, oh my God, I didn't do it. What the hell's going on? He says, you need to tell him That P.S. doesn't mean postscript, that it means Princess Sophie, which is apparently your nickname. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'll tell him all that, I'll tell him that, but I'll do that once you're inside the U.S. Embassy. Once you're safe and sound, we'll get to Steppen. And then her cell phone in her sweater pocket starts ringing. And she goes, oh, it's probably Fash. So she just reaches into a sweater and turns the phone off. Have you ever heard of putting it on silent, Dal? Like you were just hiding in the Louvre. You were hugging the shadows while Fash walked past her and you never thought to put your phone on silent. What an idiot. And she says, look, mate, Fash, he said he's certain that you're guilty. Can you think of any other reason, apart from being scheduled in his diary, apart from the name incriminating you in written in invisible ink on the parquet floor, apart from that, why would he think you're guilty? And Langdon's like, I have no fucking clue. And she's like, oh, all right then. Well, Not sure what's going on with Bezu Fash, but I need to get Langdon to the embassy. So then she's looking out at the window and she's looking down and she's like, ooh, a fall from this height, he'd probably break his legs at best. But ah well, Robert Langdon was about to escape the Louvre, whether he wanted to or not. And that was the end of that chapter. So we go to chapter 17 and we're with Fash and Fash is like, why the hell is she not picking up? I know she's got a phone, I just saw her use it. And Colette, he's like, I don't know, maybe the ringer is off. And you would think, Agent Colette, you would think, but no. And Colette's like, what's going on? Why did Crypto call? And Fash is like, well, they haven't found anything to do with draconian devils and lame saints just yet. Uh, And also the Fibonacci numbers are just, you know, out of sequence Fibonacci numbers and they suspect it's meaningless. Oh, and also they didn't send Nouveau to go and tell us that. Like, okay, everyone's burying the lead all the time. And Colette's like, wait, what? Why didn't you start with that? And Fash, he says, well, according to the director, Agent Nouveau, she had taken a look at the photos of Sonier and left the office without a word. And the director didn't question it because she would be understandably upset by the photos. And Colette's like, oh, what? She never seen a dead body before. What a Doris. And Fash is like, well, no, actually. Little bit of a twist, but apparently Sophie is Jacques Sunier's granddaughter. And Colette's like, what? She's never mentioned that. That's crazy. Wow. Crazy. You're crazy, girl. And then Colette, who's smarter than I think we all took him for, he's like, oh, well, Sonia obviously probably wrote a numeric code on the floor, just hoping 
that Fash would involve cryptographers in the investigation and therefore involve his own granddaughter. But there must be some sort of other message in there that we can't see. And then he's like, "Mm," and Langdon must fit into it as well somehow. So I don't know if Colette's actually being smart or if that's just Dan Brown trying to repeat what we know is already true. But then before Colette could think any further, an alarm starts going off and it's going off from within the grand gallery. And okay, even though we... (laughs) We just got told that. Then one of the agents is yelling, alarm, alarm. There's an alarm going off in the grand gallery in the toilets. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, well, obviously. And so then they're looking at the GPS and they're like, oh my God, Langdon, he's still in the bathroom. That's good. Well, we better go get him. He must have broken the window. And then Colette thinks about how Langdon won't get far. Although Paris fire codes required windows above 15 meters in public buildings to be breakable in case of fire, exiting a Louvre second story window without the help of a hook and ladder would be suicide. Okay, who, who expected to read the Da Vinci Code and then learn all about Paris fire codes? Not me. And yet here we are. And then furthermore, furthermore, there were no trees or grass on the western end of the den and wing to cushion a fall. Directly beneath the restroom window, the two-lane Place du Carousel ran within a few feet of the outer wall. We know! It was just described to us. Three pages earlier. God, he loves to hammer a point home, that Dan Brown. Oh, it makes me crazy. And they're like, oh my God, the GPS dot, it's moving towards the window ledge. And then the dot jumps outside the perimeter of the building. And they're like, holy shit. And then the dot shoots further outside the wall and then comes to an abrupt stop about 10 yards outside the perimeter of the building. And Colette's like calling up a map of Paris, being like, oh, I wonder where he is, wonder where he is. Like he just jumped out of the building apparently. So like, I don't know where else he's going, but he'd be nearby. And then he can see the exact location of the signal. And guess what? It's, it's not moving. It lay at a dead stop in the middle of the Place du Carousel. Langdon had jumped, end of chapter. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And who's buying that? None may. I don't know if like reading this book the first time I was like, wow, I can't believe he jumped. But like until we see it with our own eyes, never believe it. And so we pick up on chapter 18 and we're with Fash and he's running down the grand gallery to get to the bathroom. No mention of him like jumping over the Caravaggio that's still on the ground or I don't know, bypassing the dead body. We sort of ignore the dead body at this point of the book. I distinctly remember that Fash turned off his little two-way radio phone, but apparently Colette's voice is blaring over the radio. So he must've turned it back on, who knows? So he's like, he jumped. Langdon jumped out of the window. The GPS signal showing him on the Place du Carousel outside the window. Like, oh my God. Everybody's just making everything very clear. And then Colette's like, wait, he's moving. He's alive. Langdon's moving. And then he's like, oh wait, he's moving really fast. Oh wait, no, he's running down the street. Wait, no, he's picking up. Well, that's really fast. And then finally he's like, he must be in a car. I think he's in a car. Like, yeah, if he just jumped out of a 40 foot window, and we're expecting that his legs would be broken because there's nothing to cushion his fall. I doubt he's running down the street faster than a car. How they're falling for this, like, oh my God, dumbest police officers ever, right? And so then Fash bursts into the men's room, his gun's drawn, he's scanning the area, the stalls were empty. I see, now I wonder if he did a proper check or if he just did the little like, look under to see if there's any feet. You've got to open the doors. Everybody who's watched Scream knows, you gotta check the doors because the killer stands on the toilet seat. But Fash maybe hasn't seen Scream. I mean, he hates Americans, so maybe he hates American TV and movies too. But he's looking at the shattered window and then he's looking out the window and Langdon is nowhere to be seen. And Fash is like, I can't imagine anyone risking a stunt like this, like let alone Langdon. And if he had dropped that far, he would be pretty badly injured. So like none of it's making sense, but yep, I'll just go with it and trust the GPS. There's no way that the GPS can be wrong. So they're just running with the idea that he's jumped out of a window. A scholar, a symbologist has jumped out of the window and then been running down the street on broken legs or has hijacked a car somehow without a weapon. God, they think a lot of Robert Langdon to think that this is all realistic. So then they spot the only vehicle on the street. Paris is so abandoned. So there's only one vehicle on the street and it's a truck and the truck has like a tarp on it. So they're sort of thinking, oh, okay. He's probably jumped from the building onto a tarp. Still a big fall and a bit risky, but that's probably what he's done. And Fash is even thinking like, oh God, that's risky. What if the truck were carrying steel or cement or garbage, a 40 foot leap, it's madness. But yeah, all right, I I can't see any other possibilities. If the GPS says he's out there, then he's out there. And so then Colette's like, the dot is turning. They're going onto Ponte Semperes. That's a bridge. And so then he looks and yep, sure enough, that truck's crossing the bridge. They're like, okay, so he's on the truck. Irrefutable proof, he's on the truck. So then Colette, he's radioing the police officers outside saying, leave the Louvre, just abandon the Louvre. No need to keep anybody on standby cover and the exits back here, guys. He's definitely in the truck. Go and find the truck. And Fash is like, Langdon, you're an idiot. It's over, bud. We know where you are. You're not going anywhere. 
And he's like, I'm going to go make this arrest. So he's like, bring my car around, boys. I'm coming down. I'm also leaving the crime scene. Nobody disrupts the dead body upstairs, by the way. We'll, we'll get to that eventually. But for now, I'm chasing down a truck. And he's thinking, oh, Langdon ran. Guilty as charged. He's probably thinking, the embassy's not going to be able to fight me on this one, stupid embassy. And then we cut to the POV of Langdon and Sophie, still in this chapter, which befuddles me because we'll seemingly chop and change chapters as soon as there's a POV change. As soon as there's even a hint of a cliffhanger, we're in a new chapter, but now we're just carrying on. And so only 15 yards from the restroom, Langdon and Sophie stood in the darkness of the Grand Gallery, their backs pressed to one of the large partitions that hid the bathrooms from the gallery. Oh, those partitions, they came back. It wasn't just a pointless offhanded comment, they're integral to the story. So they were just hiding in the darkness while Fash ran past. Tell you what, there are so many places to hide in the Louvre. And Fash, he's just got tunnel vision. He can never see anybody who's hiding. And then we get the flashback to 60 seconds earlier. (sighs) Some linear storytelling would be quite nice. Just a more straightforward timeline. I'd really appreciate it. But now, okay, so we're back in the bathroom with Langdon. And Sophie, she was eyeing off the window and examining the alarm mesh running through the window, which, yep, we, like, I remember it was, it was two pages ago, Dan. And she says, with a little aim, you can get out of here. And he's like, uh, what? And then up on the street, the, oh, the truck's coming past. Okay, so the truck's coming past. Ah, <sighs> there's a big tarp on the truck. Like, yeah, we know, we know, we know. And Langdon's like, listen, toots, there's no way I'm jumping. And she says, take out the tracking dot, you stupid dummy. And he's like, oh, uh, bewildered. Langdon fumbled in his pocket. You know how he loves fumbling in that pocket. And he finds the little disc. And so Sophie takes it from him. And then she grabs a thick bar of soap, placing the tracking dot on top of it and using her thumb to push the disc down into the bar. And so then she pinches the hole closed in the soap, firmly embedding the device in the bar. And so then she hands the soap bar to Langdon. She gets a heavy cylindrical trash can and she just like throws it at the window. She's got the power of the Hulk and she's using this trash can as a battering ram. And so she's shattered the glass. The alarm starts ringing and she's like, give me the soap. And so Langdon, he gives her the soap and then she takes the soap. She looks out the window. She looks at the truck and she throws it and it lands in the truck. And that's what happened. And I'm like, okay, that's all well and good, but a bar of soap in a public bathroom? Since when? As I recall, public bathrooms, they've all had soap dispensers for liquid soap for decades now. It'd have to be. I think even in 2003, we were already using liquid soap. No one's using bars of soap in a public bathroom. That's disgusting. What a plot hole. There's a lot that's been wrong in this book so far, but I, th- I think the use of a bar of soap in the Louvre is the biggest plot hole. I know Dan said everything is true, but surely not. Surely they're not just rocking bars of soap in one of the most visited museums in the world. Surely not. So the soap, the inexplicable bar of soap, lands in the truck, the traffic light turns green and the truck starts moving. And she says, congratulations, you just escaped from the Louvre. Like, okay, calling it a bit early, doll. You just threw a bar of soap out the window. He's still now got to get past Fash. You got to find a hiding spot. And then you got to get out of the building. 
I wouldn't be counting my chickens before they hatched if I were you, doll. And also, you just escaped from the Louvre, she says like it's the biggest prison in the world. You know, if you said, you just escaped from Alcatraz, like that's impressive, but you just escaped from the Louvre, like, okay. That's not like that common of an experience. I don't know why that's like a catchphrase. And I just thought just then like, oh, was the Louvre used as a prison like during the revolution or something? No, no, apparently not. So fleeing the men's room, they moved into the shadows just as Fash ran past and just did not see them. Now with the fire alarm silenced, Langdon could hear the sounds of DCPJ sirens tearing away from the Louvre. And he thinks a police exodus. And he's like, oh wow, so like the Grand Gallery, it's deserted. And she says there's an emergency stairwell about 50 meters back. Let's get out of here. And Langdon's like, well, you know what? Now that the guards are leaving, I suppose we can. He's like, it's all tied up in a neat little package. And now I'm kind of waiting for them to realize they need to go and look at the Mona Lisa. I don't know why they're not doing that now. I guess we'll have to wait because the last chapter I'm going to look at today is another Silas chapter. He's He's finally made it into the church. Praise be to God, he's finally made it inside of the church. But it's a Dan Brown book, so we've got to get a whole paragraph on the history of the church. I feel like we've already had the history of the church, but here we go. Lonely planet, let's do it. The Church of Saint-Sulpice, it is said, it is said by whom? Has the most eccentric history of any building in Paris. Uh, 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 really? The most eccentric history of any building in Paris. I mean, other buildings were prisons during the revolution. You know, housed guillotines. But this church apparently was built on the ruins of an ancient temple to the Egyptian goddess Isis. And the church possesses an architectural footprint matching that of Notre Dame to within inches. Okay, well, that's not, that's not that eccentric. Oh, it's the, it is said... It's got the most eccentric history of any building in Paris. Yeah, a temple got knocked down and then they built a building with the same floor plan as another building. Like, okay, great. And apparently the sanctuary had played host to the baptisms of the Marquis de Sade and Baudelaire, as well as the marriage of Victor Hugo. Oh, how eccentric. Oh, oh, how deliciously quaint. Okay, and also allegedly, it was often the meeting place for numerous secret societies. Numerous. Can't name one of them, but apparently there's numerous secret societies that used to meet there. And tonight, it was as silent as a tomb. The only hint of life, the faint smell of incense from a mass earlier that evening. And also the nun that's there giving him a tour. So Silas was sensing unease from Sister Sandrine. And he's like, yeah, it's probably because I'm white as a ghost, but whatever. And she's like, okay, so you've never... You've never been to Sansel Peace before, huh? And he's like, yeah, I know, crazy, right? And she's like, you should really come here in the day. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm busy though. Um, but, you know, so thankful for you letting me in. And she's like, yeah, well, you've obviously got powerful friends because uh, someone called me up and got me out of bed for this. And he's like, you have no idea, babe. You have no idea. And then he's describing the church like we care. He's going on and on about the windows and all that bullshit. And so then he's like, all right, this bitch has got to stop giving me the tour. I'm not interested in touring Saint-Sulpice, even though it is beautiful. And he's like, I could probably knock out this nun, but oh, kind of shouldn't do it unless it's absolutely necessary. She's a woman of the cloth and all that. And so he's like trying to manipulate her into going to bed. And he's like, oh God, sorry I woke you up. Whoopsie daisy. And she's like, yeah, it's fine. I mean. You can't leave Paris without seeing the Saint-Sulpice, even though I think a lot of tourists do that. They all come to Paris and 
say the good stuff and not Saint-Sulpice. Like, no offense, Saint-Sulpice, but if I had to pick between you and the Notre Dame, I'm going to the Notre Dame, like, I'm sorry. And she says, are your interests in the church more architectural or historical? And he goes, actually, sister, my interests are spiritual, which I think is a bit of a dickish thing to say. And she's like, well, yeah, that goes without saying. I was just wondering, like, where to start your tour? Like, fuck me. Like, I just woke up for you. And now you're giving me shit about how you're a spiritual guy in the church. Like, all right, that's all very well and good. But do you want to see the fucking the roof? Or do you want to see where Victor Hugo got married? Like, okay, work with me here. And he says, you know what? I don't need a tour. You've been more than kind. I'll just show myself around. And I, okay, she might not want some rando guy walking around a church in the middle of the night, but okay, sure. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm awake now. Let's just do it. And then he puts his hand on her and he says, look, I am not accustomed to simply walking into the house of God and taking a tour. Can I pray for a little bit, please? And she's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I was told you were coming for a tour. So sue me that I offered you a tour. She says, fine, go pray. I'll wait at the back for you. And he's like, look, I feel guilty already for having woken you. To ask you to stay awake is too much. Go to bed. I can enjoy your sanctuary and then let myself out. And she's like, uh, you sure? And he's like, yeah, 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 it'll be fine. Prayer is a solitary joy. And she's like, well, as you wish. And so I think she relented a bit too quickly, honestly. And Silas is like, okay, sleep well. And she's like, yeah, bye. And he's like, okay, bye. And she's like, you sure you don't want me? And he goes, good night. And she's like, you sure you don't? Good night, good night, go away. And so finally she leaves. She gets the hint. And she's like, well, could you just make sure the door closes tightly on your way out? And he's like, yes, bitch. Like, just, just go to bed, go to sleep. And so, you know what, plot twist, then he actually does sit down and pray. Well, not sit down, he kneels down. He's not that lazy, but Sister Sangerine, ah, oh, she's the hero of the book. She's upstairs in the choir balcony and she's staring down at him and she's like, you know, something fishy's going on. Something fishy is afoot. There's a dread in her soul that made her stay still. And she's like, oh, I wonder if this guy's the mysterious visitor that I've been warned about all these years that I've been tasked to stay back and monitor. And she's like, maybe I'll have to carry out the orders that I've been holding onto all these years. And it's like, well, mate, like if you were told to look out for this, shouldn't you have cottoned on a bit quicker? And she's like, well, you know what? I better watch him and see what he does. And then I'll decide. And that's the end of that chapter. I don't know if we're ever going to leave Saint-Sulpice. I honestly don't, or the Louvre for that matter, because he's just escaped the Louvre, but he's still there. So go figure that one out for me. Anyway, I'm still enjoying the book as much as I hate it. I'm still enjoying it. What are your thoughts? Let me know. And if I'm wrong and you've been to the Louvre and used a bar of soap, please send me an email. Okay, au revoir. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.